Every time I get up here, I just feel blessed to be here with you. It's like almost every single week I get up here and I almost start crying just to be able to speak to you because I am so blessed to be a part of this congregation and this people as we share the word of God together. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise for his glory and his might that we have this church and the blessing it is to be a part of a congregation that loves the Lord. We're in the middle of Mission OKC. You can see the shirt. I I got a white one here just for, for you guys to see today, but we have shirts in the back for each of you. But we have 20 missions. 20 groups that are moving throughout our city this week. We have groups that are going to parks and sharing the gospel. We have groups that are partnering with ministries all over the city. We have groups that are going to thrift stores and working with homeless people. We have groups that are, that are going into neighborhoods. They're doing concerts. They're going to apartment complexes. They're doing things in which God has placed upon their heart to do. They're encouraging people through letters and giving gifts to teachers. They're doing all All of these things in the name of Christ for his glory and his name's sake. And that is happening this week as we celebrate the mission of God here at Northwest Baptist in our city. It's not just a two-week event is ongoing as we want to see this culture and these people build. It's amazing as you talk to people in our city this week, and we've been talking to a bunch, but It's amazing how open they are, how ready they are to hear about the gospel, the good news message, about hope, about the future. Because of such uncertainty about so much chaos in our world today, they want to talk to someone and they want to hear about Jesus. The gospel does not stop and we will not stop reaching people for Christ, walking them through to maturity as we have breath in our lungs as a church. Our heartbeat is the mission of God and we will encourage one another towards love and good works while we are on this earth. The amazing part about this is we get an opportunity to engage people that we may not know, engage people we do know in the mission of God. Ephesians 3.20 says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. God is doing more than we could ask or more than we could imagine by his glory. We've seen the power of God in the church. That's the series that we are in, the power of God in Acts as we see people transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of his church. We've seen, what we've seen here in the first four chapters is powerful community that is devoted to the word of God, to one another in fellowship. We've seen the power of God in engaging brokenness around us. We've seen the power of God in boldness in proclaiming the gospel. And last week we saw the power of God in prayer. And we, today we look at one of the most important measures for the Christian life, one of the most important measures 
of a church that is operating under the power of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. It is spirit-led generosity. Spirit-led generosity. So if you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter four, we see what God does as he lays upon the hearts of the early church to give, and not just give, but give generously for the mission of God and for the people of God. So let's look at Acts chapter four together. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, Acts chapter four, verse 32. I know those lights are just now coming on, but we'll have it on the screen if you can't get to your Bibles yet, but we'll get that light on for you. Acts chapter four, verse 32. It says this, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it upon the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet." You may be seated, let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that we would open our hearts to hear from the word of God. Lord, we ask that your people who are called by your name would be worthy of the calling that you have placed on upon our life to live a life that is filled with Jesus. And Father, we pray for miraculous giving among your people in the church. Father, not because we have to, but because we want to. But because we desire the kingdom of God, because it is our treasure that we hold dear, it is the pearl of great price, and give up everything for this treasure. Lord, help our hearts to be made whole. Help our hearts to be one in Christ as the body of Christ. Help us to continue to fulfill the mission of God and to be bold in our city amongst your people for your word and your kingdom that goes forth. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for each and every person in this room, each and every person that is online we are a blessed church. We are a blessed people. Help us to be a blessing to our city and to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, it's interesting when, when you hear about other families and the way that they give. Um, it's, it's, it's challenging always to hear about other people's giving in their life, and uh, one of the families that I'm close to, uh, what they do every 
Christmas uh, season is, is they, uh, before they give each other gifts, before they sit down to share their holiday feast as a family, they split their family into groups. And I don't know, just randomly split their family into groups, kind of like we do here at, at uh, NWBC as we split up into mission groups for Mission OKC. But they, they give each team some money. And I think that the money is, is a significant amount. I think, it, I believe it's $100, but it's a significant amount. And the team is tasked with praying over where God leads them to give. And so they're to go out into the city, into Walmart or into places, into parks, where people are, and they're to sense the Lord, begin to engage people and see where the Lord leads them to give their money away. And you'll hear, as you're gonna hear about these stories of the, the, that is happening as people give their lives for people in our city this week and next week, you're gonna hear of the, of the joy that, that comes not just from the people that we're ministering to, but the joy that comes from us, God's church, in giving our life to others. I had one lady walk in today and I asked her how her event was that these, these ladies went to a thrift store and they began to share with homeless and they, they thought that they were gonna share with um, uh, women and they began to share with homeless men. And she began to cry as she's telling me the stories about how God used them to impact these people's lives. But giving brings about joy. It is a response to the gospel. Second Corinthians 9, 7 tells us God loves a cheerful giver. God loves somebody who finds joy in giving. An article I read this week it was entitled this, it said, giving to others brings more joy than receiving. Study confirms. That was the article title. And I read the article, it said, a, a study published in 2018 by the Association of Psychological Science has revealed that the act of giving seems to bring people happiness that can withstand the test of time. Pretty, pretty interesting in 2018 that they're confirming what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> but have you, have you ever considered why it brings joy or more happiness to give than to receive? I thought about this this week and it is the very nature of God himself as the giver. And we're created in the image of God and when we reflect the glory of this great and majestic God, guess what? We find joy, we find pleasure in our God who gives. Now you may say, well how is God the giver? Well he is the giver of life. He is the giver of grace. 
He is the giver of salvation. He is the giver of wisdom. He is the giver of peace. He is the giver of himself, the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, he is the one who gave Christ to us to die on the cross for sinners in our place. We are deserving of the wrath of God, and yet God himself poured out his wrath upon Christ, upon the cross, for sinners. It is God who is the giver. And so when we see this played out in the gospel, when we reflect God in giving and we get to see just a sliver of his glory, his majesty, as we reflect that as his church. In the early church in Acts, we see this reflecting nature and the character of God as the body of Christ, living in perfect love with one another as he has perfect fellowship in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He has perfect fellowship in the church. He also gives, gives the Holy Spirit to his church. And it is beautiful. Not finding joy in this season of your life, not finding purpose in this season of life, looking inward at yourself and your selfish interest of where you are right now in your life, Look no further than giving as the Lord has intended for his people to do. Give of yourself and your marriage of your, to your family, to the people in your workplace. Give to those who are in your community group and give to the Lord as an offering of praise. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is the beginning, it is the root, it is, it is below the surface. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You have pain in your life? Could it be because of the root of your heart? the root issues in your heart. Maybe the love of money has so overwhelmed your life that you are unable to give. Verse 32, let's see it. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. This is our first point this morning. The church is united by the spirit of the living God. They are of one mind and one heart. They are of one soul. The church is united by the spirit of the living God. Remember Pentecost a few chapters back? These people were from all different nations, all different languages. These were people from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, different classes, rich, poor, old, young, 
but they are of one heart and one soul. How can this be? Literally, how can a church be of one heart and one soul? In, in a world right now that wants to separate you, they want to separate you all the time. This is your nationality. This is your skin color. This is your gender. This is that. And the church says, no, you are one in Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. I forgot you are Republican or Democrat. Forgot that one. Had to add that during this season. No, we are, we are in Christ. We are Christians first. We are followers of Jesus. We are not identified by the, this social structure in which our world tells us we should identify with. We are identified with Christ our identity is not our ethnicity. It is not our culture. It is in Christ. Why? Because Christ takes down these barriers. He places a new heart in his people, a heart that yearns together for the things of God. This is the heart, one heart and one soul. These things are yearning for the things of God. What exactly is that, Rob? What exactly does the one heart and one soul yearn for? Well, I think you go back to the Old Testament and you see it in the, the Shema, with, which, which the Jews would recite over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. What does one heart and one soul mean? They love their God. They love Jesus and want to live his mission. They are so enthralled with Jesus, they are so enthralled with their God that they would be willing to cast off the material possessions of this world. You see, I might not have the same musical interests as you. I may not have the same hobbies as you do. I may not have the same TV shows or sports as you like. But if you love Jesus, let's be the church together, amen? Hope Blair, you just saw her uh, leading our children. She's doing a fantastic job with our kids, by the way, and I've known her for about two years now. We, we just passed our two-year anniversary here at the church. We're blessed to be here. And I've known her about the same time, but I've been working for her for over a year and a half. And this week, this week, literally this week, she said something to me and I was shocked. Shocked. She said, and if you know me, you know I love sports. I love watching sports. I love playing sports. She said, you know, I don't really like sports. She said that. Two 
years we've been working together and I didn't even know that. Why? Because we talk about the mission of God. We are talking about our love for God all the time. We are close friends. We don't need to be combined because of our sports interest as the church, as the body of Christ. Because of our love for Jesus and living out his mission. You know what? The American church has decided over a number of years to build their churches around common interests rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why you have a lot of unhealthy and divided churches. Because people like motorsports or bowling or can talk college football, but when it comes to talking about Jesus and living his mission, there's just not a lot to talk about. And so when things in the church are going sideways, instead of rallying around Christ and his mission, we often resort to our preferences and our opinions. You see, the love of God is enough for us here at Northwest. We are very blessed to have a diverse church. It's not easy to have a diverse church. But God has blessed us with a a wide variety of ages, a wide financial range, a wide of educational backgrounds, a wide variety of places around the city where people live. And when we can love one another because our love is for Christ, it's a beautiful thing. It is. Look at the end of the phrase. And no one said that they had anything. Any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. This is not promoting communism or socialism. The idea is where people redistribute wealth. Why? You ask? Because they freely give. They were not commanded or were not coerced to do this. I read earlier that this is from the heart, not under compulsion. In 2 Corinthians 9, it talks about this. The New Testament nowhere commands people to give. They give because they want to. Out of an abundance of grace that God has given to them, they give. They were so focused upon Christ and his mission, they didn't have time to worry about their investments that moth and rust destroy. They're investing in the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus tells us about this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I got my son a new baseball bat uh, for Christmas. He, he likes to play sports, obviously, and uh, he's playing baseball. We got this, the green one. He wanted the green one. It's the neon green, brand new, really nice. We went to the store, we bought it. It's a new baseball bat. We take it out the other day, and we're hitting practice, and guess what? He hits a few balls. But look at the bat. 
It's got a dent in it. He hit it too hard, the baseball, it wasn't meant for baseball. I don't know how that works, but all of a sudden, he's got dent in his brand new bat. I can remember yesterday, Jordan bringing in a brand new Toyota 4Runner at college. This was about 15 years ago, and it sparkled like the sun. It was beauty to behold. Somewhere in the process of marriage and all of these things that happened, I, it got passed down to me, and I still own this 15-year-old, almost 200,000-mile 4Runner. It's got a ding from a baseball on the side. I'm not sure who hit that, but we'll, 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 we'll say that for another time. And the other day I was walking outside and I saw on the roof the paint was starting to come off. Moth and rust destroy. I can tell you all the purchases I've had throughout the years, but the investment that will last is the investment of the gospel in the lives of people. In the lives of people, those investments will last. Investment in the next generation, investment in those who do not know Christ, investment in those who do know Christ, investment into the mission of God, investment into his local church. God is not done with his church. And when the church is of one heart and one soul, they are filled with the Spirit of God. They're so unified in the mission, they're not worried about their stuff, but freely using their God-given things and money for the kingdom of God. Verse 33. And the great power And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This is our second point this morning. Powerful teaching of the gospel results in grace-filled community. Powerful teaching of the gospel results in grace-filled community. I want you to see the effect of the powerful teaching that it has on the lives of people. What is the result? It is grace. Grace upon them. Great grace upon them. When people hear the truth about the resurrection, the truth of the gospel of Christ, that Jesus would be willing to give up his life for our sake so we could have eternal life, why would we not give up a small sliver of our time, our money, for the kingdom of God? The good news of the grace of God springs forth in our soul and all we can do is live out that grace that God has given to us in community with one another. Who 
Who is providing the power in the testimony about Jesus that these apostles are testifying about Christ, the gospel of Christ, who Christ is, what he did for us, and how to live out that gospel message in our life and with one another in the church, in the body, and outside of the church, in the body? Who is providing the power of the message? It is the Holy Spirit providing the teaching to God's people. Let me ask you this question. Who is leading the teaching of the word into your own heart? When you open the word in the morning, is the spirit leading your hearing of the word in your community group, in your home? I'm talking to our teachers now. Are you submitted to the Spirit's will when you teach the Word of God? Do you believe that this is the authority of God in your life? Do you believe that it speaks to your specific situation? Do you believe that the Spirit is willing to change your heart and your mind, your thought process, in your community group, when you sit and you talk about the word and you apply the word to your life and you, you express your needs, express your fears, express these things, do you allow the word of God to speak from other people into your heart? Do you allow the spirit to speak? If you're quiet in your community group and you're filled with the spirit, do you boldly speak to somebody else who needs to hear the application of the word in which you've been given? These are real truths in which powerful teaching of the gospel results in grace-filled community. When people hear the transforming work of the gospel of Christ, there is actionable results. When we started at the beginning of this pandemic, there's a line that I, I keep hearing from our people that I wrote in one of our emails, and I hope it stuck out to you, but when the government officials were trying to figure out all the things that we were trying to do, open, not open, when do we do this, wear mask, not mask, all these things. At the very beginning, I, I said in the email, and I think it was the Spirit speaking, but it was, let's have an abundance of grace for one another during this time. There, there is a lot of churches out there that are arguing over what we should do, what we shouldn't do, how we should do it, all these things. And the Lord has blessed our congregation to have grace for one another. We have grace for our congregants that aren't able to be with us. We, are, we have two, I think, full groups that are geared toward reaching those people, make sure they're connected and make sure they're, they're feeling a part of the body of Christ. grace for one another. This is what I see at our church, people loving the Lord and one another in ways I never thought was possible. I see people giving of themselves, serving alongside one another in the Lord. I was blown away to see our people give and love and the love of God pour out for them as we watched them interact with others they didn't know people engaging brokenness, engaging the city with the gospel, grace-filled community that comes about through the powerful teaching of the word of God. Verse 34, 
Now we can get into the real sermon this morning. Good introduction, but this is really your text. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We're going to see next week in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, the, the fake giving, lying to the Spirit of God himself. This week we see a Spirit-filled generosity. So this is our third point this morning. Spirit-filled generosity is counter-culture. Spirit-filled generosity is counter culture. It's a pretty large statement here by Luke, the writer of Acts, to say that there was not a needy person among them. That's a pretty large statement to say, especially when the church at this point is at least 10,000, maybe 20,000 people. There was not a needy person among them. People are selling their houses, their land, and they're laying it at the feet of the leaders of the church. They're not having to direct the money where they think it should go. They're giving it to the Lord and allowing the leaders to place it where it needs. This is such an interesting concept when we look at this passage of Scripture. But really what we're talking about here is the Spirit-filled believers give as God directs them to give. And so when there is a need, it is taken care of. Does he not say that in his Scripture, that Lord, the Lord actually takes care of his own? So why would he not call some of his people to give to take care of the needs of his children? Does he not? It's actually God's design for his people. Deuteronomy 15, four, going back to the Old Testament, talking about when you enter into the promised land, says this, but there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess. That's what happens. The Lord blesses you, and you become a blessing to others. Now, now please note that the Bible honors work and teaches that individuals are responsible to support themselves. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. So not saying that you just kind of live off the church and you just do your own thing, that's, that's, that's not it at all. But it is saying that God provides for his people in need through his people. 
Amen? That is a truth that we can hold on to as the church, the people of God, that God will provide for us, and the way that he does provide for us may be the person sitting next to you. It may be the person behind you. It may be the local body or the church. Now, almost every day of the week, somebody comes to our door that we don't know, and they say, can we help you? Can you help me? And our first response is, we want to help you. That is our heart. We want to help people. But then we ask them the question, are you a part of a local body of believers? And why do we ask that question? Because to be a part of a local body, to be a member of this body, to be a member of the congregation means that you love the Lord and you love one another. You're in covenant, you're in fellowship, you're in community with those people and they want to help you. But if you're wanting us to just hand you some money, we would want you to be a part of the kingdom of God here. We want you to be a part of the community so that we can help you in all sorts of ways, not just hand you some money and you be on your way. We see the local body of Christ, his church, able to help one another in ways unimaginable as we go about the work of Christ. Of course, the Spirit leads us to help people outside of that body of Christ. But when we look at this passage, they are in community. They are devoted to the Word of God and to one another in His Word. Giving is a fruit of a life that is focused upon the gospel. You see, the church has rich it has poor. We meet one, one of the rich congregants here. His name is Barnabas. He owns property and he sells his land. Now, the writer Luke shows us that Barnabas, he singles out Barnabas. He'll show us Barnabas throughout the text of Acts. But he shows us the heart of this one man who is willing to give his land that he owns, not because he has to, because he wants to give for the kingdom of God. He is all in the kingdom of God. We will learn later that he will be the one who goes and gets Paul, begins to plug him into the church at Antioch, he will be the one who will be with Paul on his first missionary journey and he is called the son of encouragement. Now let me tell you something. If Barnabas was tied to his land, if Barnabas had to run his operation, would he be freed up to do the work of the kingdom of God that God had for him? Let me ask you this. If Barnabas did not sell his property and he was freed up, would Paul be the person that brought the, the, the Gentiles the gospel? I'm sure God would have raised up another man, but he chose Barnabas. 
Would God have sent Barnabas on his first missionary journey with Paul to go all over the world planting churches if he didn't sell his property? We, don't, we won't ever know that. But he was freed up. He was ready. He had a heart to say, Lord, where do you want me? I'm here. I'm ready for the kingdom of God. That's so counterculture. Are you freed up to do what God has called you to do? Are you freed up to use your gifts and talents for the kingdom of God? Or are you tied down? So constricted with your life that you can't even do Mission OKC if you wanted to. Because you got all these other things you got to do. You got all these races to run in the hamster wheel called this world. What will they say about you when you're gone? Will they say he had big houses, lots of land, he had a yacht, lives in luxury all his days? Or will they say he gave sacrificially, he loved people, he encouraged people in the faith, he gave his time to people who the Lord had led him to? First Timothy six seventeen through 19 says this, listen to this, church. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. They're investing in that which is truly life. Are you truly living? Remember we talked about at the beginning. Giving equals joy. Are you truly living? Giving is not under compulsion. Gospel giving is because your heart yearns to give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, I can't say this enough. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I said last week that God has blessed Northwest with giving these past few months. God's people in his church are giving at a phenomenal rate. We are blessed beyond comparison. We're able to use the money for the kingdom of God. We're able to focus our time and our abilities on the kingdom of God. Not if we're going to be able to, to pay to open the doors or pay for our lights this week. We are, we are focused upon the kingdom of God and we are pushing the gospel message forward. But I wanna challenge you in this room who have given your whole life and we are thankful for you. Gospel giving is not just 10%. It is not just the tithe. Why? Because God should be growing us in every area of our life. He grows us in our time in prayer. What if I just cap my prayer time at 10 minutes? 
you know, that's all that's required of me. Or just cap my time in his word at 10 minutes a day. No, that's simply not the heart of God. And we see this in Barnabas who sells his land and he gives it. It is all his to begin with. We are stewards of the blessings he has given to us. Why not give fully from the heart and experience the God of grace and joy that he has given to us? If you're an initial giver, that means you've never given before. We want you to take the next step to begin to give for the kingdom of God. We can look for opportunities to give or financial resources. If you, if you begin to give, but you're not consistent in that, we want you to take that next step. To be consistent in your giving for the kingdom of God. If you've been consistent all your life, we want you to be intentional about your giving. That means you're actually giving a percentage. You're actually giving intentionally. You say, the Lord has placed on my heart to give 10%. Great. That's an intentional giver. You say, is that, is that all there is to giving? No. If, if you're an intentional giver, begin to think about sacrificially giving. That means that you're actually giving up something in order to give. What joy that is. And if you're a sacrificial giver, meaning you are actually giving up something in your life to give for the kingdom of God, think about being a legacy giver. That means someone who gives for the next generation. We have many people who have given to Northwest for a number of years. That means their giving is still going on. They gave such an amount of money to the Baptist Foundation or whoever, that the church actually continues to use their finances for the kingdom of God even long after they're gone. Can you believe that? That's amazing. Praise the Lord, we have some of those people who have given in intentional ways. But I want you to see Barnabas and I want you to ask the Lord What do you want from me? Kyle's gonna come up and we're gonna play, but that, that is our application this morning as we enter a time of prayer. I'm gonna ask you to stand up with me as we enter into this time of prayer. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes as we focus upon what we have just heard and we respond to the word of God. We respond to the word of God by hearing what the church has said, that Christ has given his, his life for us, that he died for us, and now God is maybe moving you to give. The Lord may be calling you to give of your time your skills, your resources for the kingdom of God. Just as last week we talked about prayer and we gathered together and we prayed together 
in responding to the word of God, I want this morning that you to pray and ask the Lord, what have you called me to? Maybe you've called me to be a part of this local body in which I wanna give freely to the people here and for the kingdom of God. Maybe the Lord has called and placed upon your heart to give your life for Him in the mission field. As a pastor, maybe He's calling you to believe in Christ, to repent of your sin, to turn from your own pleasures and possessions, to give your life to Jesus. Maybe he's calling you to step up from an initial giver to a consistent giver, consistent giver to an intentional giver, intentional giver to a sacrificial giver or a legacy giver. Would you join me in prayer for the kingdom of God? Father, we thank you for your people. We are blessed beyond compare at Northwest Baptist. We are blessed to see people giving of themselves for the kingdom of God, not only of their time and their resources, but of their life. As we see in early in the book of Acts, we see people abandoning their own selfish desires and giving their life. Father, place on the hearts of your people dreams and visions of what to give and where to give. Lord, we pray for those that are here this morning that have never given their life to Christ. We pray that their hearts would be shaken they would yearn for the truth. They would yearn for the Spirit to come upon them, that they would repent and believe in Christ. We thank you for this morning and speaking and challenging our hearts in generosity. In Jesus' name we pray.